Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest uh, weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining and thanks, gang, for all being here to discuss the um, the week's events. Uh, with me, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Matt Dunn, a football aficionado at the Daily Express, and plenty to talk about. It has been a hell of a hell of a week, really, in terms of deadline day. Not a massive fan of the um, transfer window as a as an entity, as an event. I have to say, take its story as it comes. But there were some good stories on deadline day, and that's what made it uh, uh, different for me. Really, Arsenal le- allowing Aubameyang to leave free. Um, Tottenham, have they done good business or bad? The best feel good story, Christian Eriksen. I did like that, and the return of Frank Lampard. Oh, one to warm Andy Dunn's heart, and. Um, <laughs> And also the uh, the FA Cup is back this weekend. And uh, if you didn't know already, I love the cup. <laughs> Fantastic. But listen, let's start with, shall we, perhaps the the deadline day fallout. And I, I, I don't know, it's it's a strange one. Matt, let's I know you're a big, big sort of kind of, you know, fan of everything that Arsenal do and sort of always full of praise and uh, you know, credit where credit's due. What do you make? Of Pierre Emerick or Bamiyang, and as I, you know, as I did write the other day, blimey, it feels like Arsenal have let so many players go in this win, and they might struggle to field a five-a-side team at, the, at this rate. But to let their star striker, you know, basically their ace goal getter on the back of struggling to score goals, go on a free, <laughs> so Arsenal, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. It's uh, it's amazing um, how Arteta solved the big two crises that he's faced, which is Meza Ozil and Aubameyang. And he solved them by getting rid of them, not replacing them, not sorting the problem out, whatever. But yeah, um, to be fair, I, don't, I think Aubameyang, the first thing he's done at Barcelona, I see, is... Uh, get a release clause put in his contract so there, there's someone who's, who commits for the future as a 32 year old so that he's not held back on his future career uh, and you think yeah unfortunately Arsenal have put far too much money in the hands of people who aren't loyal to the club in the past that's not Arteta's fault he's been left with that legacy it's dealt with now at least they can move forward but the fact is He's still not signed a striker. He's signed three goalkeepers since he's arrived. He's not signed a striker. And, uh, yeah, it kind of writes off this season again. You know, it's in danger of, you know, just when it looked like they might sneak a fourth place, you thought, you you, you wonder, mm. you know, where's the ambition there? And, yeah, it needed sorting, but, uh, and he clearly made his stance, but that's twice now he's done it. Uh, and until sort of, Smith Rowe and you know really steps up and becomes the new Meza Ozil genuinely, uh, and until somebody develops as the new Aubameyang who did score goals when he when he fancied it, you just wonder where they're going. And and yeah, it's another step backwards, ready to hopefully for them go two steps forward again. But 
it's a very long, long process that we keep being sold. Yeah, cut cards on the table here, guys. I do think that Arteta was arguably right, you know, and he had to draw a line under Aubameyang's, uh, you know, discipline, basically. Timekeeping, you know, returning late from club-sanctioned trips to to, to uh, France. Um, you know, he, he's captain. He's, top, he's, he's the best-paid player, player, and he's got to set some sort of example. Where I think perhaps is, is the bigger issue here is what does it say about kind of failure to to crack the whip, dis, you know, discipline-wise? But then also, is he cutting off his nose to spite his face? And by not signing a replacement, isn't that the key, Andy? I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I, I did. Not signing replacements is obviously an important thing, but I think it is more important that Arteta basically makes the stance that Arteta, you know, actually established himself very much in the way that his coaching mentor, Pep Guardiola, would do. You know, I mean, without a doubt, this is a leaf out of his book, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the sort of thing that he would do. You know, this is the guy who who, who dropped, you know, arguably two of the best England players in England, Phil Foden, well, and not as young, Jack Grealish, you know, for for staying out for an extra hour or two one night after they'd won 7 nothing. You know, the, the, this is the sort of discipline that he's learned from Guardiola. Um, and, you know, I, f- I found Obama Yang's message to Arsenal fans when he left, you know, you're reading that and he says, you know, I, I was always 100% focused and committed. Well, <laughs> you know, well, someone is telling someone is telling Porky's here, basically. You know, someone is not being straight. You know, if his argument is that he was 100% focused and committed, then why did Arteta feel the need to discipline him? Why? And, and he wouldn't do it, you know, just, just out of, you know, just on a whim when, when essentially he remains your best striker and he is your captain as well. So I don't quite get that at all, you know. I think, I think in the in in the broader picture, I do share Arsenal fans' concerns that he hasn't been, you know, that he hasn't got striking reinforcements. They will have issues there, but in the broader picture, I think he's done the right thing. You know, I think he's done the right thing, and Aubameyang's been very lucky, you know, to go and get himself, you know. A nice gig, you know, despite Barcelona's troubles, it's still a good gig. That if you, you know, get turfed out of Arsenal, you end up at the new camp. So I think all round, it's probably the right thing. Yeah, I do. I do agree with you, Andy. I must say, but you know, I think, but I think failure to get a backup is 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 the issue. What do you yeah. make of it, Jeremy? I think the, I agree with both the guys what they say. I think he needed to get him out of the club because it, it had become a toxic scenario, and obviously he wasn't playing. And you don't want someone around the place who, um, you know, is going to disrupt um, the dressing room. So I agree with them getting him out of the club, but I just find it it's such a bad look that you should let a player of that standing go to another massive club for nothing. I mean, you know, they paid sticking to 60 million for Aubameyang in 2018. And somehow, like Matt said, with like with Ozil, He's managed to get out of there without them receiving a single penny from him. And I just, I just think, because the scenario was, had gone on for so long, Barcelona clearly knew how desperate Arsenal were to get shut of him, which obviously didn't help Arsenal's situation. But even so, you should be getting some sort of fee for a player like that. I mean, he had 18 months left on his contract. Mm. So mm. You know, they'll obviously save 20-odd million quid in wages, but I just find it staggering how a player can be allowed to leave a club like that and with, for free. Yeah, it's four years since his fifty-seven million pound move. It's, yeah. it's which is no, which is no, frankly, no time. You do, you do have to wonder, wonder about sort of the, 
you know, the, not just the recruitment department, but the kind of, you know, the, the, the way that they sort of kind of run contracts. And, you know, because this is twice now, superstar players push for a contract who's running it down. And they're basically had their pants pulled down on both occasions, really. So, it, it, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that Andy wouldn't agree on, me, on, on, on the Mesut issue there. But um, but there you go. I do think the final insult was Aubameyang, you know, getting himself a private plane. Oh, no, sorry, I, I don't know actually whether it was a private plane, actually. Getting himself on a flight to um, Barcelona um, on, on, on Monday. Clearly, Arsenal didn't know anything about that. Barcelona said they didn't know anything well, about it. Well, do me a favour on that one. I mean, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous to suggest that they wouldn't have known um, that, that suddenly you know, Bamian put himself in place to, to sign. And that just sums it up. You know, if Arsenal fans can't, can't see that, then, well, blimey, you know. But I do think it's, it's, his exit is divided. Opinion. Also, Let's see. Also, where are Barcelona finding getting the money from? I know. I mean, look they're, at what they've they're, done. They're virtually bankrupt. They let, had to st- let Messi yeah. go because they couldn't afford to keep him. And just signed a player who's earning three hundred and fifty thousand quid a week. But it's not just that, is it? It's Torres. It's yeah. a huge amount it's of money. Incredible. It's Danny Alves. It's it's you know it's it's astonishing. There was one more the name escaped me, and it's just amazing. You know, it's just astonishing. And there's talk that they might go for you know Haaland in the yeah. summer. You know, even the fact that they're in that conversation, whether you, you know you think he's probably going to go to Real Madrid, but you know, wow, this is ridiculous, absolutely yeah. crazy. It's just not, it's just, yeah, it's just not right, actually. But there you go. But listen, we should go on to Tottenham, and you know, um, w- without giving too much away, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that this, yeah, that the running order has been written this week by Spurs fan who's who's talking about. Yeah, missed opportunities, hedging the bets and kind of, you know, in a very negative stance here. Um, but they did sign two players, um, Matt, on, on on deadline day from Juve. Um, and one that caught my eye, and I, I think that Ben Tanko is a very good player. Mm. And I must say that, that when Villa were in for him, then people were saying, blimey, that, that would be a good coup for Steven Gerrard. Now Spurs have signed him. Am I... You know, it seems a bit more negative. I think he's yeah. a good player. I, no, he's, a good I, I player. Think. He, he's got a lot of experience as well at a relatively young age still, um, mm. which is what a lot of the Spurs players had when they're on the up. Is that they they got experience? That was the the beauty of that Spurs team uh, when they were pushing towards the Champions League final. Is they were youngish players with with a lot of games under their belts, and he he fits into that model. So, yeah, no, I think that's a good thing. I think it's interesting, though, that there's obviously some nervousness within um, the Spurs ranks and that Steve Hitchens has been allowed to go so easily. Mm. Um, there is obviously some sort of finger-pointing going on behind the scenes, which is normally symptomatic of the fact that they don't feel they've done that well and certainly not. Oh, there's doing well and there's doing Conte levels of expectation well. Um, because he sets the bar very high wherever he goes, and I don't think it was a great window for them. I, I think he's he's dealt with some important business in getting certain unresolved issues sorted finally. And, and as we were saying with the Arsenal situation, he has made some replacements. So he's got rid of Ali, who's always going to be you know, a peripheral figure. So many managers, for whatever reason, I love them as a player. thought he's fantastic when he was on his game. But, uh, but yeah, it's not working out for him. He needed a fresh start. Uh, and Dombley was also another one that distracted people. Uh, and at least until the summer, you know, it got rid of him. Uh, and Hill just wasn't ready for it. Uh, and Lachelso was another one who was a far better player for Argentina. So he's dealt with a lot of players that 
he doesn't like, got rid of them so he can focus on the ones that he does like. Uh, but added, like you say, two decent players um, to the resources. It's an okay window. It's kind of what a sorting out window, what he needed to do, a bit of spring cleaning. But it's not a great window. And I think Spurs are aware of that. The real sense of where they're going will come in the summer, which is a time when you know, the big clubs really do their business. Uh, and they need to step it up this summer if they're going to be contenders again. Mm, no, both it's, those it's, signings, though, John, both the signings were fringe players at Juventus. Yeah. So ben Tenker hasn't always been. No. But this season, though, they've not been playing regularly. So, you know, mm. it could be a good move for both of them. I'm just, I'm just saying that, put that into context in terms of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also think sometimes it's a bit harsh, you know, the sort of the, the pelters they got really for um, the fact that Diaz chose to go to... Um, they yeah. ended up at Liverpool rather than Spurs. It's a little bit harsh, you know, in the sense that, the, that you know, it, it, it's not... The suggestion is that Daniel Levy was outmaneuvered by Liverpool and that Spurs were outmaneuvered by Liverpool's recruitment team. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that that really is business. You know, if Porto make it clear that Diaz is going to go in in January rather than the summit, um, then, you know, if, if, if Liverpool long-standing admirers probably thinking they were going to get a deal in the summit, well, then then, then they have to come in for him. You know, they have to... Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just nature. You know, you, you hear the... So you have to make your move at that point because Spurs have made their move. You make your move then, essentially, it's in the players. The ball is in his court. And at the moment, if you're going to choose between working for Klopp and Liverpool mm. and Conte and Spurs, bearing in mind that, you know, within six months of him joining, you know, there's already suggestions that Conte might not be there long. Then if you're the player, then in essence, you know, unless you're desperate to, to, to live in London, for example... Liverpool and Klopp is a far more attractive option. They don't have to look at the league table for starters. You only have to look at Spurs playing in the Conference League, Europa Conference League, and Liverpool in the Champions League. You know, so that that in a way isn't Tottenham's fault. It's not Daniel Levy's fault. It's not Conte's fault. And similarly, on the other one that they were getting a little bit of stick about missing out on, I'm not about that that, that non-league lad whose, whose name I can't remember, but the. Um, uh, but Triori, for example. Oh, from Lewis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lewis, yeah. Ollie, yeah, someone yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah. But. Um, you know, Traore, for example, you, you know, maybe Conte had a particular role in mind for him. He didn't quite fancy it. Well, again, that's the player's choice. Again, it's not, you know, it's not a Tottenham failing. I agree that, you know, the two signings are, you know, not exactly, you know, I mean, overwhelming. But, you know, let's say I, I, I agree with Matt. He's got, you know, the squad is, is beginning to look a little bit more like what he wanted to. Ali's off the mm-hmm. books. So, yeah, I, again, and I agree with Matt, it, it, is that we'll see what happens in the summer. That's going to be the true barometer of how Levy and Conte are going to get on. Yeah, it is interesting about Luis Diaz. I mean, <laughs> I do have to say, I do have to say some of the stuff that goes goes around from, from journalists, really, on, 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 on social media, and, you know, particularly covering, you know, particular clubs. Blimey, it's like, you know, be a... Be a objective on it you know it's I, I agree with you you know it's 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 strange i think when basically but you know people don't mean on national newspapers but more but yeah it's just, i think it's when when particular people run on sort of sites and stuff i don't know is it is it is it is it being a fan is it kind of covering a club as as a journalist i don't know it seems as sort of blur, lines blurred you know no one no one says that spurs couldn't go for Luis diaz it's um and spurs rightly rightly said at least they're identifying him but 
you know, if, if, the moment Liverpool sort of kind of come in, it's he's. I think Liverpool's going to be made up, isn't he? Let's be Liverpool honest. Liverpool has done a lot of work on that deal. Yeah, time, absolutely, so. absolutely. Spurs, Spurs had, they didn't know that or knew that and thought, well, let's let's go in from anywhere, and it might it at least looks like we're being ambitious. Yeah, yeah. Or, although you could then say, well, Spurs knew he was going to go to Liverpool in the summer, so let's try and do it now. Yeah, it wouldn't been, you know, if they could, if they could have got him, then would that have been the worst thing in the world? I don't, I, you know, I mean, Conti, Conti won't look back on this January transfer window with a huge amount of fondness, but the key for Tottenham is going to be in the summer, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. when the top clubs do all their main business, and we will get a good sort of barometer in the summer of of where Levy's ambitions are in terms of, you know, do they match Conti's? Mm. Yeah, no, it will be interesting. It will really be interesting. Now, listen, Jeremy, just on on Diaz, where do you think that mean? What do you think that means for for Liverpool? Because they've already got Diego Jota, who's obviously a versatile player. But does this mean the breakup of the of, of the Fab Three? Because potentially, you know, particularly if Salah's not signing, Mane similar similar situation contract wise. Yeah, you know, Firmino, where where where's where's he well, quite as sort of firmly established as, as yeah. first choice as he was? I mean, Firmino's sort of been pushed aside somewhat this season by by Jota, so who's been great great when he's played for Liverpool yeah. this season. So I think you've got to accept that 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 front three are probably not going to be together too much longer for various reasons. The Salah contract situation is is running on and on. If you're a Liverpool supporter, you've been thinking why. Why is that not sorted by now? Because, you know, he clearly wants to stay. He said he's not asking for a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, that's, that. that's another debate altogether. But, yeah. you know, and I think it's it's good foresight by Liverpool because you have to stockpile players of that quality. But look at City. The streets head in the league this year because they've got the best and biggest squad and the best squad. And, you know, I know Liverpool can't compete with um, City on the financial footing, but it's going to be a great signing. It's a long-term signing and it gives them a great option. And, you know, one day, maybe maybe in this summer, one of those three is going to go. So um, I think Firmino might go in the summer. He might he might look elsewhere because, you know, he's, he's sort of not guaranteed to be in the Klopp, Klopp starting eleven anymore. So, it's, it, and Klopp knows if he wants to compete with City, he's got to try and, Beat be mm. their own game and 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 trying to amass yeah. a squad is similar to what City have got because yeah. you know to win the biggest trophies you need you need twenty top class players. Yeah, you do, you do. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I think. I, go on. Sorry, go on. No, tell me. Go on. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say that, that, that's it. You see, I mean, whether or not you know, we sort of assume that okay, well, what implications it's going to have Mane and Salah's contracts, etc. You know, maybe maybe Firmino might go. But the bottom line is, is that they don't have to, and I'm sure Liverpool won't be thinking, well, one of these is going to go. They'll be thinking exactly what Jeremy said, is is what we need is, we actually need, say, you know, if if we're going to play a front three, then we need to, you know, have a front five that we can pick the three from. In the same way that City, you know, say City, whatever three Pep chooses across the, the... Now, he's choosing three from five or six, isn't he? He's choosing three from Sterling, Jesus... Bernardo Silva, Foden. Jack Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden. Foden. Yep. And he's choosing three from there. And then the others have got to be understand that that's the way it's going to be. And I'm saying, as Jeremy intimates, that's what's going to happen at Liverpool. You know, 
they'd be they'd be more than happy if Mane stayed, if Salah stayed, if Firmino stayed, and Jota obviously is going to stay. And then say, well, hang on, we've got these five players. We've got Jota, we've got Diaz, we've got Mane, we've got Salah, we've got Firmino. And, you know, we're going to pay him three, three, possibly four. They could possibly play, you know, Firmino a bit deeper, possibly they'll be ultra-attacking, but they could do that. And they're going to say, we're going to pay him them. Bearing in mind that, you know, the chances of all five being fit and available all the time are probably, you know, are not great, you know. So, and that's what, then it's up to the players if they accept that. That's the thing. You know, will Salah accept being out of the team now and again from from past experience? Maybe not. But then that's his decision to make. The ball's in his court. This is the vision now. If this is a vision Liverpool have got of having those five attacking players there, then that is basically what, what Manchester City do, isn't it? You know, yes. only, you would, you, you would possibly argue that of that attacking five, they are probably better equipped in terms of natural born finishes than City are. So they could actually steal a little bit of a march on those. So, yeah, the I real, think that's... Um, the real test, the ultimate test for Klopp will be to keep, if he can keep them all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, exactly. Guardiola yeah. manages to do that somehow at City. Exactly. And, and my guess is, is that my guess is that, and again, this is just purely sort of what, what you see, you know, as an eyewitness. I think he probably would be easier keeping Roberto Firmino and even... Diogo Jota, I'd be happy with that than he would for Mane and Salah, who are who, who are naturally extremely, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but single-minded sorts of you, you know players who, who who want to be there, you know, who, who see the who see the personal picture as well as the team picture. Let's put it that way, to be kind. Yeah, no. It's, I mean, Mohamed Salah is not going to be happy if he's getting rotated, is he? Let's face it. Why? No, no, no. I agree with you. There were one area for Liverpool. I I, I tend to think is midfield. I just don't. You know, there's yeah. obviously some outs- a couple of outstanding sort of, you know, first picks in there. But you think, mm, you know, he's, he's, yes. he must he must look to sign another he, midfielder. He probably I'm will, sure. but defensive midfield, I mean, like with Fabinho in there, that's fine. Uh, you know, I mean, Absolutely. it's a bit early to say, but maybe Curtis Jones hasn't, hasn't had the best season, you know, in terms of development. But Harvey Elliott obviously will be coming back. I agree, but I think, and I think he, he will. One more strength in there. And, you know... Uh, and listen, they are not going to go away in terms of um, basically pestering City. Listen, the feel-good story, I think, of the window was pretty obvious, wasn't it? Christian Eriksen. Um, Matt, we, we both wrote about this, didn't we, earlier mm. in the week? And... Uh, you know, I mean, everyone everyone wishes him well. And first and foremost, it is a brilliant, you know, story, isn't it? And, and, you know, and come back and, and you know, it's, it's a fantastic uh, recovery and, um, you know, comeback story. Yeah, no, it is that. It's, and it's clearly something that he was desperate for um, pretty much from when he, he woke up in bed um, after that awful day. Um and uh, I mean, you did an excellent piece with uh, Fabrice Moamba. Um, so, and I echo a lot of his fears. I, I spent a bit of time with Fabrice when he first sort of started building his life back together. He started looking at doing a bit of journalism and he came and worked uh, at the Express for a little while. Um, you know, doing and that the, put him off or? And yeah, he's never done it back <laughs> since. I'll tell you what, no, I helped him set up a fantastic interview he did with. Um, Adebayor, which was fantastic. It's still available on the, uh, I'm sure you can dig it out somewhere on the video streams. Um, but, uh, no, um, 
he basically was worried, and he said in your piece, the piece you did with yourself, um, that, that he's anxious because there is only one knock away. The reason the Italians banned band players is because one bad knock in the wrong area of of, of where his um, ICD is fitted, and it couldn't, it might not be very pretty at all. You know, we might be having scenes similar to what we had um, in June, which we were lucky we had a remarkable outcome then. Um, it's not always like that. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of endanger getting blasé with the Fabrice Moamba situation, with the Ericsson situation. You know, this is serious. I mean, as, as um, the FA's leading cardiologist um, said at the time, he died on that pitch um, in Copenhagen for a period. I mean, let, so let's not lose sight of just how poorly he was at that point. Um, and yeah, it's great that he's got a smile on his face um, and that he's back doing what he loves doing. But there is a risk. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one because while you applaud all this and you hope that, as in Daily Blind, um, that, that he has a successful uh, recuperation and can get through the rest of his natural playing career without any. Um, problems cardiologists recommend moderate leisure exercise for athletes even without contact sports rather than pushing yourself exerting yourself in the premier cut and thrust of the premier league so um, i'm sorry to sound that same same sour note that fabrice moamba has that worry but i just hope it i mean i'm hoping to i'm down to go to brentford next week it might be too soon for, for his return um, he might make a cameo. It would be great to see such a fantastic player on a football pitch again. Don't get me wrong; that is a fantastic experience, and it'll be it'll get a standing ovation whenever he next steps on a football pitch. No doubt about it. And let's hope he can still play some of those passes that that were so brilliant and so effective for Spurs, and do something for Brentford. But the whole thing, yeah, it, it's a difficult one. Uh, and you hope it is the feel-good story of the year. Mm, yeah. Do, do you think he'll come back, Jeremy, and sort of can can still put his any fears to one side and be the player that he was? I don't know. I was looking at an interview earlier in the week that Daley Blind gave, um, and he said it's it's a real emotional roller coaster, you know. And he admitted that. I mean, he actually saw what happened to Ericsson, um and he was playing for Holland the next day. And he thought about pulling out that game after seeing what happened. So I don't know. You can't unless you've been through it. You can't really imagine what 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 you what you must feel like. But you know, he must he must be confident he can he can play to a high level again. And um, hey, look, like Matt said, it's in the lap of the gods, isn't it? It's always going to be in the back of his mind, the supporters' mind, our minds when we're watching him play. Mm-hmm. We know the world, whole world knows what he's been through. But you know, you just keep your fingers crossed that he can. Mm. and stay healthy and play. And it's a great story for Brentford as well because, you know, they're such a well-run club out of Brentford and they've been a great, mm. a great addition to the Premier League this season. So, you know, it just makes you... We're always being negative about the game, aren't we, for various reasons, and especially in the last two years with COVID and everything. So it's just a heartwarming story, if you pardon the pun. It's a, you know. Well, my one hope is that Christian's been more sensible about it. I think he wants to play in that World Cup. Um, in November, uh, and I think that he's sort of said things about that. And if he's looking over a fixed period of time, being well enough and staying well enough to to, to fulfil that sort of 
uh, amount of pressure and, and that sort of amount of stress, then, then perhaps it could all end up very happily with him, you know, having his swan song in the manner that he wants, um, because nobody wants his career to have ended, you know, in the manner it did uh, in Copenhagen in June. So I hope he's got a very sensible view on what he can achieve in the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah, no, it will, it will be interesting. On a wider point, Andy, finally, mm-hmm. on transfers, £295 million spent by Premier League clubs. It feels like maybe the, <laughs> the, 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 the the days of, you know, being frugal and, 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 and cautious. This is the second biggest ever, the largest ever um, uh, in terms of net spend um, in, in a January window. Uh, it, clearly, it's going to, you know, cause some. Well, it has caused some angst in amongst EFL clubs, and 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 will reignite the the, the rows around sort of Tracy Crouch's fan mm-hmm. review and demand for more cash to be uh, sort of filtered down um, yeah. through the football period, pyramid. How do you how do you see that? Does the Premier League square that off legitimately? I think it just squares it off, John. With with with, with it's it's continuing, and even. Against what I I would have anticipated, it's continuing and it's increasing popularity. It's as simple as mm. that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I'm, I was reading stories this morning about um, a possible merger of um, two sports broadcasters to form one super, you know, broadcaster who will be a serious rival when it comes to bidding for TV rights for the Premier League. And you know, we all thought that maybe TV rights would would plateau. It doesn't look that way. You know, if this comes about, then inevitably it will get even more it'll get even bigger and the tv rights will be worth even more and in that sense it becomes more and more imperative to club owners that they remain in the premier league and if it's imperative they remain in the premier league to most clubs by the way one or two maybe have a different philosophy but if it becomes that way they're just going to spend more money to make sure they they, they stay in the promised land it's as simple as that so i, I you know i do I look at the disparity, you know, amongst the spending, you know, going further down the leagues, but it's just going to become greater and greater. The argument is going to be, and the Premier League, obviously this argument we've had, we have every single year about how much money should go down the system. And then if it does obviously trickle down the system, how is it used by football league clubs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you could go on ad nauseum arguing about that point is that it's okay given the money down to these lower league clubs. But if they then go and basically wasted on 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 outlandish payments for their players then then what's the point to a certain extent but no i'm not surprised by the spend and i think it will continue i really do i think it will it, it will continue i think the summer you'll see huge transfer fees because there is no sign whatsoever even though even though the premier league even though even though the premier league is about to have the same winner for four of the last five seasons even with the Premier League, inevitably at the top is the top three or four are the same. Even though you probably could have said at the start of the season, certainly I would be surprised if most of us didn't predict, say, two of the three teams were going down. Even though all those things, it's a, it's increasing popularity. It's just going to bring in more money. You'll see, you know, and don't forget, we haven't even, you know, scratched the surface yet of, of social media rights, of you know, things that are going to happen. And they just want to stay there. So two hundred ninety million pounds spent on a few players. Don't forget some of it circulated amongst each other as well, buying from each yep. other, etc. Um, 
that's going to seem like just well, that's just the absolute norm. You know, it doesn't. It, it, it never even. I never raised an eyebrow, mate. You know, when I see that sort of figure, I didn't think, oh, well, that's a large stuff. That, that's it. That is it's part of the cause, mate. Mm, interesting. Bottom line, John, is that it's a great product, the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, yeah of course. It's a magnificent product. We have the greatest players in the most of the greatest players in the world playing in the Premier League. All the best managers in the world managing the Premier League. It's a it's a dream scenario for, for the Premier League, and it's a, that's why it's a billion dollar industry. It? And it's also it's also proof that if the Premier League is serious about looking after football, they can afford to. They don't need to spend all that money. Yeah, I agree. More money coming in, great, but they can filter more down if if they want to, uh, yeah. without disturbing the product. And, should uh, they, Matt? Should they? Yeah. should they? Should they? Because yeah, well, I, 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 I must say, I must say, I had this, I had this round with a, a, a well, not yeah. a round, but a debate with a friend of mine the other day, who's who's sort of saying, "Hang on a minute, shouldn't the Premier League clubs get together and save Derby?" Well, I actually went back to him and said, "Really? I, I, please don't get me wrong. I, I, I've loved going to Derby down the years as much as anyone. Massive football club, huge, you know, part of history of the game, you know." Um, but why should they save Derby from from reckless spending, reckless ownership? And if they do that, then every other you know championship club has got license to go. Okay, we'll we'll run our club into the ground chasing the Premier League dream. And if we fail, we'll get bailed out. I'm sorry, but you know people talk about Derby. The only people that I feel sorry for in this whole mess is the Derby fans. Hmm. It's that the, you know they they deserve better and they deserve better ownership. But their owners surely shouldn't be shouldn't be bailed out by uh, you know from their ridiculous methods and ways by 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 Premier League clubs, should they? No, I don't think that's the case. I think that's one particular example with one particular individual who um, who, who got it horribly wrong. Mm. Um, but there should be a mechanism whereby the club could be saved in some format. Uh, you know, even if it has to, say, you know, it shouldn't be on the. Yeah, being threatened with extinction um, because of the amount of money there is in the game. Uh, and I agree, if you give more money to some of these lower clubs, it's going to be spent in the wrong way. I mean, that's mm. why I think something more coherent, like what Tracy Crouch is proposing, is needed. But to underpin it all, it needs to have more money uh, at that lower level Um to, uh, to because of the competitiveness of getting to the Premier League, uh, and I and I think the Premier, what as Andy says, as it keeps getting more and more popular, the Premier League can afford to spend that. Uh, uh, and the other option, which is some sort of government subsidy, just seems wrong at the moment when there's so much else that the government should be spending their money on. Um, or leveling you know, up, <laughs> <laughs> leveling up. Well, yeah, you two, you two, you two boys clearly need a bit of that, don't you? <laughs> well, if only on their booze bill, but um, Ooh, wow. but uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I think football needs to look after itself in all its guises, and the Premier League makes the money, and it wants you know to be taken seriously as as governors or, or shared governors of the game, uh, and and guardians of the game, should we say? Then instead of spending 295 they could have said well do you know what if we have to pay by all means spend 20 but pay your transfer tax pay whatever it is that goes with it to make sure that, that the rest of the game's also being looked after yeah i'll tell you what what is interesting right is that basically clearly a lot of clubs are still abiding by ffp and then basically obviously there's been some sort of you know some relaxation but you still have to abide by it 
And I think if that had not been in place, then there's mm. no doubt in my mind that other you know clubs would have spent bigger this window. Mm. And that's the only reason why we've not seen more spending is because you know clubs are still cautious about FFP and they're yeah. basically falling into line. So you know it's just yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, John. I mean, just it's for another time, but I also think Premier League clubs will will also be wary of, of how things are going to pan out over the next, you know, two, three, five, ten, twenty years. Because it's, it's strange. But when you mentioned before, we sort of raised our eyebrows and say someone like Salah's contract demands. But you know what? There'll be nothing compared to what's coming down the line. They will be nothing. You know, the players will eventually, the players will eventually, strange as it seems, come to realise that with all this money in the game, TV, TV rights, and they are actually, I mean, this sounds absolutely ludicrous, underpaid. but they are actually, they're underpaid. <laughs> and they, and, 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 and they, 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 they will realise that. And they will, they will come to realise that they are, they are the Premier League. They are football. They are, you know, I, I was reading a fascinating interview with, um, which is called Headlines, with, with the golfer Mickelson today, you know, and we're yeah. saying a particular shot that he played, you know, gets replayed all the time. It's, it, the rights to it are owned by the PGA Tour. So every time it gets played, they get money, whatever. It's, it's made about three, five, six million quid and getting repaid. He hit the shot and he doesn't get a penny. Wow. And I think that concept will arrive in football. And, you know, up, up, up until now, up until now, you know, players have been, I think it's changed a little bit, but but you remember, we all remember the time when basically, you know, players sold their image rights pretty much to the club, didn't they? Yeah. That's going to change. That is going to change. Yeah, you know, I mean, Mohamed Salah, whatever the price is, that he, whatever the contract he's asking for, I mean, let's say people seem to believe it's in the ballpark region of 400 grand a week. And you're like, what? Let me tell you, in two, three, four years' time, that will be absolutely commonplace and nothing because players will demand a bigger slice of the pie, without a doubt. Mm, yeah. I thought the game had gone, Andy. Sorry, I think, I think you're absolutely wrong. I thought the game had gone on the Hamid rights thing when Steve Bruce's move from Birmingham to Wigan manager was held up over Steve Bruce's image rights. I thought <laughs> I thought it had gone gone then, but but you are right. The only thing is, I think there's an, an intermediary step, which is the teams claiming their image rights, and that's the next thing. It's all to do with mm. own brand television. Yeah. That's where the problem's going to first. It'll be teams. Yeah, anyway, it'll be yeah. teams suddenly realise they need the money, and then the players will get it off those big teams. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Really is, well, I, t- I tell you what, there's very interesting times in, in golf going on at the moment, aren't there? Well, yes, it is, Paul. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's it's wow. Well. Podcast, you know. Sounds like Lee Westwood signed up, doesn't it already? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that was a quote. We do talk about footballers and whatever, but that great quote from 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 uh, from from Lee Jez uh, when he says. I mean, a while ago, when he said, "Listen, you know, if someone comes to me and says I'll pay you fifty million pounds to play golf as a forty-eight-year-old." No <laughs> brainer. Well, yeah, exactly. So, we had to, just going back to football, we've seen a million pound a week player in Messi, haven't we? At Barcelona, he earned a million yes. pound a week. Yeah, we're yeah. led to believe, and look, look at the mess that left Barcelona in financially. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, it's not, we're not quite there on the million pound player yet. I suspect we're not. We're not far. Oh, we're not there, far off, mate. We're we're we're, no, we're, we're 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 really not far off. I just think the general point. Might, might disagree, but the general point is that is the players, um, you know, and and again, it might also depend on. Again, you're looking at years ahead now. You, you know, it will look at the whole transfer system. Listen, is 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 going to be looked at, isn't it? You, you know, the whole idea. You know, it, it was mooted. I think it was was it Raiola who was suggesting that 
you know, transfer fees might eventually be abolished. It does seem, but anyway, that, that will, as I say, that, that that's for another day, I would have thought. Yeah, I tell you what, if we get a million pound play, a week player, transfer fees will absolutely be abolished. Mm. He's right. I, I, you know, I see yeah. completely, there's no way. I mean, it, you know, what the transfer fee would be a drop in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> really would. You know, it'd just be, it'd just be amazing, really. It'd just be a, another unnecessary distraction. But anyway, but there you go. We must talk about Frank Lampard and yes. um, and Everton. <laughs> I mean, you know, blimey, we were discussing Everton and, and, and Lampard last week. Andy, you you know, you thought straight away that Lampard would be a decent fit for the yeah. club, didn't you? And then basically, um, you know, that that sort of kind of quickly came to pass. Really, I mean, out of all the the, the mess and the wreckage, Andy, do you think that that Everton have ultimately ultimately got their their right man? Well, I think you listen. I'm quite happy for him him to be there. I think you know he's got a point mm. to prove. I think there's no getting away from it that he was probably the best of a, a fairly sort of ordinary bunch of candidates. To be perfectly honest with you, you, you know, if, I mean, I, I would have been okay with Rooney, but you know, his record at Derby and what he's doing there is is quite spectacularly overhyped, um, and. Pereira obviously has got his limitations with his record. Duncan Ferguson was never going to get the job. You know, I haven't been associated with Everton's failure for the last five, six, seven years. Mm. So in a way, you know, Lampard was to me the best of, of a fairly uninspiring collection of candidates for the job in the sense that he does have a point to prove after um, after what happened to Chelsea. Um, he is a bright thinker about the game. He is a good communicator. You know, you can rest assured that, that, that you know, he could easily have just sort of said, okay, well, never mind this. I'll, I'll have an extremely lucrative career in the media, for example. You know, there's no doubt about it. We all know that he would have been absolutely sort of lined up to be the face probably of Sky's, of Sky's football coverage had he so decided. But he wants to prove himself as a manager. But he has got things to prove, you know, in the sense of the, 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 what happened at Chelsea. And you could say that there were extenuating circumstances at Chelsea because of the nature of what he was going back into. There was the transfer ban to start with. There's the unique pressure of him going back as a, as a, as a playing legend, et cetera, et cetera. But I like the idea that he's got something to prove. What I don't particularly sort of um, see with I mean, let, let, let Frank have a crack and I think that'd be fine. The signings, you know, straight away though. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and and listen, I'm, they may prove to be inspired, but I just don't quite get the signings at all. You know, we're, well, Van de, we're talking Van der Beek and Deli Alley. Exactly, that's exactly yeah. what we're talking, and we are talking a, a template that Everton have used since Farhad Mashiri took over. An odd one that I can never get my head around, and it, and, and it seems to involve Mashiri's statements when he took over was that you know. He not only wanted this club competing to break up or get into the big six, you know, very quickly, he wants them to be challenged for the title. So instead, from then, Everton's transfer policy seems to have had a template of, actually, you know what we'll do? We'll take players who are absolutely a surplus to requirements from the clubs that we want to be on a level with. So we'll take, I don't know, Theo Walcott, 
Alex Iwobi, Wayne Rooney, even when he's coming back, you know, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin. I mean, to start with, you know, from Man United, hopeless. We'll, have, we'll pay 20 odd million pounds for him. Even players who've had a club in between, someone like Gilfie Sigurdsson, who couldn't cut to the spares, went back to Swansea and Everton paid 40 million pounds for him. Michael Keane went to Burnley, you know, and then Everton then take him. Mm. We're now playing two players, you know, I mean, Van der Beek, you know, who literally, you know, ha- has, I mean, cannot get near a United team that are hardly, hardly set in the world alight. Deli Alley, who hasn't been able to get in Tottenham's team pretty much, you would say, so lots of parts of Marino maybe, then obviously uh, Nuno Spirito and now Conte. And they're taking and they're taking Deli Alley. I just don't get that sort of policy. Now, maybe what I would say is maybe Frank will will sort of inspire these players. And clearly, on past evidence, you know, when we had previous clubs, not 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 well, Ali in his previous time, Van der Beek and previous club, and with their national teams in the past, they've done well. So maybe Frank will will rejuvenate these two players. But whether or not that's the you know, I mean, if you say to me. Is Deli Ali and Donny van der Beek going to go and turn this round for Everton? Are they going to go to St. James Park on Tuesday, I think, isn't it? Tuesday and sort of, you know, um, lead Everton into battle there, you know, with all guns blazing. I don't think they are. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I mean, listen, I, as I say, I hope and prove wrong. I hope Lampard rejuvenates him. But the bottom line is, I think Lampard is, is a decent appointment. And I think van der Beek and Ali are... Incredible risks. Wow, yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt so, so, you, you, you know, you, I think you referred to Delhi Ali as being a sort of, you know, one of your favourite players when in full flight, um, you know, earlier. I mean, I, I have to say, this, this deal, as much as Aubameyang has, has, has astonished me, just in terms of, if you look at, you know, people well-informed, you know, reporting that basically he's gone effectively on a free transfer. And then basically everything else is made from add-ons. I don't know where the hell that leaves MK Dons, by the way, who presumably had a sort of a sell-on. And it's... Um, that might be the sort of nasty may, trick that Newby's tried to play. but uh, Well, yeah. maybe. May, may but I do feel like, you know, Deli Ali, like you, I love Deli as a, oh. as a player. Brilliant oh. talent. So exciting. Magnificent. I mean, we shouldn't forget, he, went, he was at the World Cup, last World Cup, as, as England's arguably his biggest star, you know. Yes. And yeah. he's just... I don't know what's what's happened there. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, he does need yeah. a he does need a restart, doesn't he? He, he does, and um, but he, <clears throat> always struck me as when he was getting those numbers that he was getting before the World Cup. Um, you know, is when he scored twenty goals in a season, uh, and you were compared. This is almost as good as Lampard and uh, and Gerrard, or it was up there with him. His mm. goal scoring, Lampard and Gerrard were taking penalties and free kicks. He was doing it from open play. He the numbers he was turning out were just so much in advance of anything that the Premier League's ever seen. The only I tell you what, the only midfielder categorized midfielder that was close to him was Dwight York because the Premier League recategorized him as a as a midfielder because of his late career, and he was the only one with any sort of goal scoring figures anywhere like his. It was exceptional, and, and he was doing it with you know. That devilment that Pochettino spoke about. He was someone that you wanted to have playing for you. He was somebody that was always going to, every time he got the ball, you feel the crowd sit on the edge of their seats. Uh, and to have that talent uh, at that precocious age, um, you know, and, of, and he was such a nice lad 
when he mm. came, you know, even mm. while he was still at MK Dons, I, I met him at the uh, when he won his Football League Young Player of the Year awards. Um, I was at the, the thing that night and met him for the first time, and he's just such a polite lad. And uh, when you deal with him in the press, he's he's a he's a nice fella, uh, and for it to all have gone. What's gone wrong then, Matt? Well, that's what I mean. That's you've got to ask. There's a reason for him. There are insinuations about his lifestyle. There have always been these sort of things, and I don't know. You know, uh, no one's you know, uh, save for some video that briefly did the rounds. You know that there's uh, you you don't know quite how well he's knuckling down or not. You you hear all sorts of things. Yeah, the other thing about him is an incredible athlete. When he arrived at Spurs, he was breaking all the records. You know, they'd never seen, they'd seen figures charted for, for their fitness runs they'd never seen before. And you'd have thought Conte would love that. Mourinho would love that. And that's what kind of surprises me is Frank Lampard's come in and said, do you know what, Jose and Antonio, they've missed a trick here. I, I, I think I can sort him out. And that, that's a lot of confidence for a, for a young manager to have. It's, it's a roll of the dice, but but to feel that you can unlock this potential that that you know really top managers seem not to have tapped into, it's just remarkable. And I, I think a lot of the problem is in, in Delhi himself, and eventually something might click back into place and he'll come good again. But but you since do worry. He, since really he came back so. from Russia, since he came mm. back from Russia, how many managers has he played from the Tottenham four? Well, it's Pochettino, isn't it? It's Pochettino. It's Mourinho. he wasn't fixed by Pochettino towards the end. I know, I know. This is a this is a moot, but this is a moot point. You know that basically, there it has to be some acceptance there. You know that basically, you know, he has it basically. He's got to be some kind of you know realization and sort of looking in the mirror that basically that that, that that's the thing. He did match right. He did lose his place under Poch. In fairness, I think you know. Deli Ali is such an outrageous talent, such a brilliant talent, such a you know, such a nice lad when he's on, you know, when he's on it as well. That I, I, you know, Pochettino clearly tried to take him back to PSG, didn't he? You know, tried to get mm. him again. So that says a lot about kind of, uh, you know, Deli Ali's potential and 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 where where he stands and where he fits. But but equally, it's a hell of a hell of a risk, you know. But I if it, you know, we, um, game for, when we wow. spoke to Southgate after the. The World Cup had finished before they were coming home, and he said, "I don't want this to be. I don't want some players to think this is it. This is as good as it gets. You know, you've made it. We want to push on, build on this." And fortunately, ever since he came back from Russia, his, his career's gone backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 sad, but there you go. Uh, let's hope he, because I'd, mm. I'd love to see him come good at Everton, but um, but there you go. So it'll, be, sure. it'll be tough for him, John. I, I, I really mm. hope he does. I, I hope I hope he does well at Everton, um, and. Um, I would think it'll just be tough because it's not a particularly great team at the moment and they are in a battle, you know, and, mm. you know, whether or not the type of player you need in a battle is Deli Alley and Donny van der Beek will... You've got to say, though, about Lampard, one thing you've got to say about him is he's not afraid of a challenge, is he? No, he's, he's not. He's on and... that job. He's yeah. taken on that job, which is a heck of a job because they're in trouble. And he's yeah. signed two players whose confidence is on the floor. Mm. They need a complete reboot in their careers. And Deli Ali's a luxury player, isn't he? You know, we you want it like one of the guys said earlier, you but he puts bums on seats when he's on form and he's a great mm. player to watch, but yeah. he's a luxury player. He's not the guy who digs deep. No. I don't know. Yeah. I disagree with that. He does put in the miles when you watch him uh, on the pitch, he can do that. Uh, it's not what you want him to do necessarily, and he doesn't do it particularly effectively, but he's not frightened of running. 
that's that's what's so weird about it. You you watch him in these you know Europa Conference League games, which he should be dominating, and he's tucking in, he's tracking back, he's doing all the things that a manager like Mourinho, like uh, Nuno, like Conte would want him to do. But the spark seems to have gone. It's when he gets the ball, sometimes his touch is a bit heavy. His passing sometimes is off. It's really weird that someone who has that much talent just seems to have gone off the boil. And, yeah, I think when he plays, he tries. He's not like certain yeah. other people we've been talking about today who've been, you know, swinging their head for, for goodness knows how long on their £350,000 a week transfers. But, um, but yeah, no, he does try, and that's what's so weird that, that it's just not working for him anymore. I mean, at least what what I would say is is is, is the least Deli Ali you know might have uh, might be inspired by being an Everton player. Unlike Donny Van der Beek, who's not an Everton player, he, he will be wearing an Everton shirt, but he will not be an Everton player. He's a Manchester United player. Oh, okay, just as simple as that. I, I, and I, I know I, I bang the drum and 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 almost that nauseam, the point of boredom. But listen, you know, and and that and that is one thing. You know, Everton are going cap in hand, borrowing players from Manchester United then. You're not a fan of the loan market, Dunny? No, no, I've, 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 I've never mentioned it. Uh, no, it, I don't think so. No, uh, I don't think so. That's interesting. But at least e- equally, equally, guys, equally, no, guys. I'm sure. Matt is getting paid by or off by Man United or whatever. He goes back and, and like you know. And, and again, I go back to the original point. This is what you know. Everton was supposed to compete with Manchester United, not go and catch a player or two off them to help stay up. Mm, there you go. Equally, I don't know whether <laughs> I've ever mentioned that I'm a fan of the FA Cup. I love the FA Cup. And then basically, I have to say, right, there's, you know, there's one one slight disappointment in this round that basically maybe, maybe, the what's the classic recipe for a uh, an FA Cup upset? It's the minnows at home against the big boys, basically. And it's, you know, in the third round, we had it sort of slightly the other way around. And um, although we did still get a couple of great stories, didn't we? You know, with Cambridge and uh, and then obviously Forrest knocking out Arsenal, um, which was you know two super stories for for the cup. Um, the draw, if you like. Yeah. But then we, we have got Kidderminster, West Ham, and beyond that, I, I wouldn't say you know there's there's decent ties, but the generally the big boys are at home, which is uh, which is maybe maybe a bit of a shame. Um, but you know, Kidderminster West Ham is 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 what the cup's about, isn't it, Matt? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it it is, and I think with the manager like David Moyes, he respects the FA Cup enough to put a strong enough team for it to be a meaningful result. Were Kidderminster to pull off the shot, um, you know, it, it is. It's difficult with teams being weakened, and sometimes we don't give credit enough to the upsets when they do happen. But but anyone looking, especially, I, I always find fourth round weirdly. You sometimes get better upsets than you do in the third round. You know, more meaningful upsets because teams generally are a little bit stronger. You haven't got the post festive excuse of everyone being shattered or whatever. Uh, and if you get a good fourth round knockout upset, often is a better story than a third round one. So, yeah, that's the best chance. I think I've been speaking uh, this morning on on Zoom to uh, uh, Steve Schumacher at uh, Plymouth, and they, they might beg to differ that, that perhaps you can do it as an away team. But, uh, but I do agree with you. Kidderminster's chances on their own turf are, are rather higher. 
The, yeah. large, the fourth round draw was largely disappointing in, in reality, wasn't it? When you looked at all the possible yeah. scenarios with like Boreham Wood and, and all those teams left in it at the bottom end of the pyramid. So there's, well, there's just one standout tie, basically, in this round. It, it does say, um, funny enough, um, uh, Steve Schumacher was, was talking, he was with the Cambridge manager when, when the draw was made and he, like, he was excited that, that they come out first and Cambridge United will play... Luton, which, with all due respect to Luton, are not Newcastle, are they? So it's kind of the, they've got the dream home tie, but but not the big clubs. So yeah, it was it was a kind of a nearly there at fourth round draw, but but not quite what you'd want. No, no, no. I, I agree, I agree. But there you go. Right, it's just time for and finally. Um, so let's uh, uh, bearing in mind, right? Uh, basically, with this week we've seen the sort of the retirement of um, Tom Brady who frankly feels like has, has gone on forever and broken absolutely every every record as a, as a result over in the States. Let's go around the room, shall we, and pay tribute to football's best golden oldies of, of the past. Matt, who you got for me? Well, I've won then because uh, Jeremy and I were both of this game and it certainly still sticks out in my mind. Um, Neville Southall making a brief reappearance um, for Bradford against Leeds in, uh, it would have been in 2000, early 2000, uh, sorry, early in 2000, 2001 season. Um, he would have been 44, 45, um, and his age was something similar to his waist size by then. Um, he, he wasn't a figure. He was never a tidy goalkeeper, but this larger-than-life character literally um was was suddenly seen warming up uh, due to an injury. He was goalkeeping coach at uh, Bradford at the time, but injuries. I can't remember what the circumstances were of his his selection, but suddenly he was thrust into a Premier League game um, in a match that should have been all about Stan Collymore's debut for for Bradford, um, which instead became all about the Neville Southall show. In fairness, for the size of it, he did pretty well. I think, and Bradford they won that game, didn't they, Jez? I think so, yeah, I think what happened. Was was, they only had one goalkeeper available that day and he got injured in the warm-up. Yeah, that's right. There's so no choice but to play Southall, but I remember when he came out to play, I remember sitting next to an old friend of all of ours, Mike Morgan, who worked for The Sun, and he said, Crikey, the last time I saw something that big, it had a harpoon sticking out of it. <laughs> I just always remember that. We were absolutely cracked up laughing, but yeah. It was yeah, a, right, yeah. It was I tell you, it never was Southall. Neville Southall was responsible for some of the best goal, individual goalkeeping displays I've ever seen. Oh, he was top, unbelievable! You know, yeah, he was, people, he was never the tidiest figure, though, was he? He, was, he wasn't. He wasn't a bin man, but no. you know, it was kind I think of. In, I think. In, I, I think I was. Well, I was there, but basically, in 1985, when when Everton won at Tottenham, um, I, I was at White Hart Lane as, uh, as as just a kid, really watching a game of football, and basically, what an absolute performance that night and responsible for arguably the best you know save i've seen in in the flesh but it's just amazing absolutely amazing but anyway great goal. I, I, brilliant goalkeeper grossy you know and, and, and actually have you been following him I'm not, he hasn't been very active recently but you know very interesting contribution on social media mm. uh, you know i mean with, with a lot of good stuff yes very outspoken and obviously you'll always remember him sat against the post won't you yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> cool, blimey. Yeah, Jeremy, what you got for me? I've dug someone up from the J-League in Japan. He's 54, <laughs> this guy. What, what, dug him up? 
Phil played in the J League. He's a striker as well. He's called Kasiyoshi Miura, and he's 54. And he was born two months before the Apollo 11 moon landing in 1969. And he's still playing. Wow. Four years older than me. Wow. Who's not still that. playing because of he's injury. Just, he's just announced his retirement due to a serious leg injury. <laughs> right, wow, wow. <laughs> Go on, Andy, oh. what you got? I, I saw that, actually. You know, uh, that, that, that was that, 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 that the new, he got a new contract last year, so, didn't he? I, I remember that. I remember that. Um, I listened three years I think, with an option. Yeah, I think in terms of greats, yeah, I think in terms of greats, and, and we're thinking Tom Brady. By the way, did you see Tom Brady's retirement sort of... Um, speech or written yeah. speech or whatever, when he basically ignored New England Patriots who he was with for 20 years and the Kraft family who owned that and instead paid a gushing tribute to the Glazer family. Did you see that saying that everything gets well to everything a team and, and, and could want for in an ownership is, is the Glazer family, you know, and meanwhile, you know, a million United, Man United fans are wondering what was going on. But but sort of United I think, I think, listen, I still think, whether you like him or, or loathe him, I, I still think Zlatan is a remarkable story. Absolutely remarkable story. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? I just think that I don't like some of the stuff he does, you know, the uh, the barge on, who was it? Was it Asp- Equator, was it? Mm-hmm. Or Lonzo? I can't remember. But, but anyway, so I don't like some of the stuff he does or some of the stuff he says. But it's remarkable at that age to still be. Now I know there's a, a bit of a debate whether he carries on at the moment, but you know to be still playing at that very highest level at 40 years of age is absolutely incredible. And I always, I've got a soft spot because I went out to interview him a couple of, when he was at LA, mm. and I met him down in Hollywood. You know, and I had a stroll down the road there, and you have to say, I mean, you think he's cool? I mean, and he just was even cooler in that in that scenario. You know, he just sort of belonged there and just. Talk about and what I liked about it now, strange enough, was that he was one of the few players then who said, Listen, you know, basically anything I say, you can that's it. it, it it's it's not gonna be checked. You, you write write what you say. And he's just got a confidence about him, I think that's fantastic. What I also like, I'm sure we've all been there, is going to um like non-league games and spotting so on. My local team is Nantwich Town, who play in, I'm not sure, you know, it must be the eighth or ninth tier. And just on a, on a day off, wandered down there. I thought, I recognise that centre forward. It's Ricardo Fuller. I mean, Ricardo Fuller, brilliant striker, you know, back in the day for Stoke. And I just love it when when you go go to a to a, to a non-league team and see players who basically just can't give up. Mm. I mean, like, we all know players, don't we? Who the moment they retire from, say, the Premier League, the top level, that's it. They're not going to kick another ball. You, you know, mm. they, they, you know, understandably, some of them... It's been their, their 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 life 24-7 for, you know, 12, 13, 14 years. They want to kick a ball. Yet there are some who just can't give up, isn't it? Who will just yeah. play, who will it, it will it will just drop down the levels and, and then play. And to me, that's just absolutely brilliant. So I, I can understand yeah. those who don't, but, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll see, you know, players tearing out for, 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 for lower league teams, not lower league teams, non-league teams. And, and to me, that's brilliant. I'll tell you what, on a similar vein, right, basically, sat in the Chelsea press room a couple of Sundays ago for, I uh, can't remember which game it was now, but basically Joe Cole walks through. Such a such yeah. a great bloke. Such a nice fella, Joe Cole, basically. And just and just stopped to have a chat with a couple of us, basically, and was sort of, you know, was sort of almost grimacing because he'd, he'd, guess what he'd been doing in the morning? Playing Sunday league football yeah, with, his, with his mates. 
and basically said that these are the guys that I sort of kind of grew up with in Essex. And basically, yeah, we, we, you know, so I said, I can't, but I cannot believe that basically when you rock up with your Sunday league team player, uh, with your Sunday league team, that basically, you know, the oppo is going to go, hang on a minute, that's some sort of ringer, Joe Cole. And he said, do you know what he said? He said at the start of the season, Crossy, he said, we were absolutely dreadful, absolutely shocking. We were getting getting beaten. Now we're in a rhythm and we've suddenly got, got it going again. Yeah, we're not too bad. But he said, basically, can't, can't, I can't believe it. I'll save this for another day. But I always remember sort of the similar experience. My Sunday league team, we we signed up um, Phil Mitchell, Steve McFadden for a couple of couple of seasons. <laughs> and uh, you should have seen uh, the peak I of his East, I mean, the absolute peak of his Eastenders fame. And um, basically, you should have seen the faces on the Oppo when basically we used to rock up with, 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 with yeah, with Steve McFadden, with Steve McFadden, who basically played in front of me at right, uh, uh, you know, he was right wing and I was right back, and basically I kept on calling him Phil. But anyway, that's a story for, for, for another day. Um, but there you go. Um, anyway, guys, thanks so much for, for for joining us. It was um, yeah, really, really good fun, and yeah, enjoy the FA Cup this weekend. 